0: This is Mark DeWitziak, and you are listening to the Col Shack's Loop Podcast. Col Shack's Loop
1: Podcast, episode three, part two of the Mark DeWitziak interview.
0: So names are important. They're always important to authors. So somewhere along the line, Jeff stumbled across the Col Shack name and he just liked it. He just he just he just liked the name. He decided it was Romanian, and it's his world, and he gets to decide the rules. Uh, and then Darren comes along, and he decides it's Polish, and this has always set up the debate about the heritage. Do you go with Darren, or do you go with Jeff, on this? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've i always kind of, my heart has always sort of gone with Darren's choice, because, you know, I was raised Pol, I'm Polish, you know, so <laughs> the, the, the name is Polish, so I, I kind of like, you know, uh, I, I kind of like Darren's choice. Go, oh, check Where do you think you're going? I'm going out. I can't stand him. But to see what's around the loop. What's happening around here is an assembly column, not anything
2: out of the loop. Go, Jack. Come back here.
0: Chicago. Yeah. All right. I got to tell you, the last time I was in the loop, there was. Oh, hey, listen. You know what we're gonna do? You and I'll sit down and have a long right. chat, okay? We'll sure. rap about chime.
1: Hey there, welcome back everybody. This is Robert with shack's Loop. Bradley will be joining us here just in a little bit. We are going through part two of the Mark DeWitziak interview. We broke up the first one, had it roughly at an hour and 40 minutes. This one's going to be close to about an hour and a half, and uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Mark DeWitziak. Thanks, Thank you very much everybody for joining along, and here we go.
2: Hey, exactly. hey, Robert! Uh, before we go yeah. on, uh, I'm going to throw a little quiz at you on the spot. Uh, in those, yeah, in Nosferatu, what was the name of the uh, the vampire in that movie?
1: I think we've. Oh, I don't even know. No, no, you, know, we, you have to answer. No, I have n- no clue. Go ahead. It it's Count Orlock.
2: Count Orlock. Yeah,
1: there we go. Yeah, yeah I my my <laughs> vampire lore understanding. You know, really started with Kolchak, And yeah. and then, just like Mark, I saw Abbott and Costello, and I saw Dracula.
2: Yeah, and
1: It was the first time that it allowed me not to be scared of Dracula. So that was actually pivotal to me. But um I was so terrified by Lugosi, and then eventually Palance that I remember having a dream when I first started playing football that I battled Palance vampire-esque people on the football field. And it was the only time that I felt like I was actually winning and, and being able to be strong enough to fight these guys. So I don't even go back so much to Nosferatu and the others, but, you know, the Salem Lot vampires were scary as all get out to me. Palance was scary as all get out to me. And, uh, and I think I told Bradley, I think I'm attracted to, I mean, I, I loved Oldman's uh, performance in that, but just like you, Mark, I mean, I, I, oh, poor Keanu, not, 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 his thing. That that was wow. just a Hollywood minute, you know, to, to put him in that and yeah. have a, have a popular actor, but the, the vampires that were in 30 days of night, I love those guys. I think they were very Nosferatu-esque.
0: You know, yeah. and, and that's the, the, the when when Dark Shadows sort of split the world, you know, and I always kind of say this to people, when Dark Shadows split the world, it's not like we lost the nasty vampires. It's not like we lost anything because Dark Shadows then said, well, this puts us on the trail that's going to lead to Anne Rice and, and to Twilight and True Blood and all this stuff and Vampire Diaries and Angel, if you will, and Buffy all of this sort of comes out of the trail that uh, once this this worlds. But I say, it's not like you lose the nasty vampires. You know, Stephen King immediately, you know, says, no, this is the kind of vampire. But we get him in books like Robert McCammons, They Thirst. We get him in uh, other movies in the 50s, like John Carpenter's Vampires and From Dust Till Dawn, where you've got some pretty nasty critters there, you know, in, in the vampires. And, you know, you, you just see the vampire constantly being interpreted and reinterpreted, interpreted. And it, that's the great thing about it is true right. diversity enters the picture, not just diversity as far as how the vampire acts, but also how the vampire looks. The vampire is pretty much a middle-aged white guy until, uh, you know, we start this, the seventies the start to change that up a yeah. little bit, you know, and innovations always, they never happen on film. Hollywood doesn't like innovation. Hollywood likes safe. Hollywood likes stuff that's already proven, and generally something that's been proven somewhere else. And once it's been demonstrated somewhere else, then they they exploit it. Then they take it and they exploit it. And you know, if you look at almost all the innovations in the vampire, almost always it never happens in movies. It always have. It happens on the printed page mm. in books mm-hmm. like *I Am Legend*. It happens in the comic book world. You know where the notion of a black vampire is in comic books way before it's, you know, people will say, well, what about block? I said, blade is before that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the comic books have an awful lot to do with, with innovations on, on, on a lot of uh, things. And you see it in television. You see, like I say in day, like dark shadows, daytime television, the whole idea of a, a, a young woman in love with a centuries old vampire, something which becomes very common buffy it's in that that idea is in buffy it is in true blood it is in twilight it is in vampire diaries it is in you see that endlessly repeated but it really starts in forever night for those anybody who remembers that series that was a canadian series that was on cbs late night in which the lead character was a detective vampire worked night shift and was in love with a uh a young mortal. And that idea, again, comes from television. That idea. So you have, the innovations almost always come from all these other directions. They come from foreign movies. They come from, you know, I mean, one of the great the things that I like right now in the vampire world that's on currently is the, the FX series, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which I think is very funny <laughs> and very, very clever. And and, and 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 it's a wonderful comment on you know, uh, on society using vampires. And it's got its origins in a, in a New Zealand movie. They are the, the New Zealand movie, What We Do in the Shadows. You know, so you look at all these innovations, they always sort of come from uh, other directions. You never look to mainstream Hollywood for innovation. You look at them to exploit it. And then they'll, they'll, then they'll take it and they'll say, oh, well, it was a successful book or it was successful in the comic book world or it was successful here. Then we'll do it they like to be safe. They like to play it safe.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, Robert, you're talking about 30 days of night. The the guy who wrote the comic, Steve Niles, he did a lot of cool stuff with it. Uh, there was a 30 days of night X-Files comic crossover. Uh, and there, there was just a lot of cool stuff he did with that. I thought 30 days of night was a pretty, pretty awesome, uh, interpretation of vampires.
0: Yeah, Um, and and, and, and like let the right one in, you know. Which is again, a a, has it's a foreign movie, you know. Mm -hmm. It's it's a a movie that all of a sudden uses young vampires and all uses the vampires metaphorically in a way which is really clever, you know, and really so. Once again, you know, it 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 always comes from these interesting directions. Yeah, it
2: sort of mixes it with the it sort of mixes it with the lore of like black eyed kids, which is a, a rather new phenomena. In the uh, sci-fi or paranormal world, uh, sorry, Robert, you can go say whatever you want to say.
1: No, 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 I'm I'm loving that you and Mark are, are having these moments because you you've you know got got some some info on the table that I certainly don't scratch you know and 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 involve myself with. So, no, I love that you you're having this conversation with him. Um, I think that um, we may want to move to some of our, our rapid fire round uh, and Mark, I, you know, I've listened to so many of your uh, podcasts and your lectures and everything. And I think Bradley has been a good difference um, for the questions that you've gotten. I, I don't recall many of those coming from uh, other people. So I love that you guys are having that interaction.
0: Well, I, yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, I always, I always like, you know, uh, fresh, fresh, questions i always like you know thinking i like thinking on my feet number one Mm -hmm. i always like you know uh, not knowing i always tell people don't tell me what you're going to ask me you know as a number one rule people say well, i'll send you my question. and don't send me your questions you know (laughs) i don't want to i don't want to know your questions i don't want to know them i just i'd rather this be real conversation number one and number two you know writers tend to be like lawyers they always say lawyers make lousy witnesses because they try to anticipate the cross-examination and so they make lousy witnesses. Uh, so it's the same thing. You know, if you tell me what your questions are going to be, I'm going to prepare and it's going to sound canned. Mm-hmm. It's going to sound, it's not going to sound candid. So just, you know, just turn on the mic and let's go.
1: Sounds good. Bradley, did you have one other question you wanted to ask before we went rapid fire?
2: No, uh, I was going to just, I was going to say rapid fire. Just basically thoughts on some of the the questions we didn't get to on the, on the Facebook page. Uh, and I've got those right here. Just, just sort yeah. of quick answers, uh, just to see the ones we haven't covered yet, and then we can move into his uh, thoughts and some of the other stuff. Uh, all right, Mark. Uh, <laughs> of course, uh, you saw this one. Has anyone? Has anyone ever seen Mark and John Carpenter together? I thought not.
0: <laughs> that surprised me because John Carpenter has lost his hair. <laughs> John Carpenter's hairline is now clear. Now that's look awesome. at this. That's awesome. You know, that's awesome. That's I mean, if, awesome. you you're, 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 you're obviously can't see me, but you know, uh, you know that's why I said I get Mark Twain and Sam Elliott more than I get uh, I've ever got. That well, was a new one.
1: Let's but, do this.
0: Let's I'm glad I, I love John Carpenter.
1: Let's do this for one moment. Let's all freeze and smile at our cameras and I'll take a little snapshot. Oh, I look creepy. Now, did I only take it of myself? No, no, I, think, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Now I got I a weird thing. Doing. Did I you, get everybody else, Bradley? I
2: don't know. You always look creepy though, so there's nothing I new am about that.
1: Completely buddy. creepy. Let's forget about it. All right, next question, Brad.
2: Um, I, I think they they said where where did the name Kolshak come from? Uh Where did? Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah,
0: it's interesting because it's it's really shows up more in Russia than it does anywhere else. Yes, it's really more a Russian name. Which is what led. It's not a Romanian name, and you know, in the book, Jeff was very clear that uh, uh, Kolchak was was Romanian, and uh, it, it's. And then in the series, uh, Darren was equally definitive that it was a, a Polish name. Now, actually, Darren probably is closer as far as uh, where it could have been from. Uh, but if you look up the, the name, there is an admirable Admiral Kolchak in Russian history mm-hmm. who is uh, quite prominent. Uh, but Jeff just liked it. It's like anything else. Jeff liked the name. There's a tradition of this that's like Stoker. You know, he he, he there, There's a there's a debate among Dracula scholars about how much Stoker actually knew about Vlad the Impaler. Um, we know he got some things from the British Museum. What's important is that he got the name. What's important is he found that there was a warlord uh, in the 1400s who used the name Dracula. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness he did because he gave him the title of the book and the the name for his character. It's a great name. I mean, it's it's a fantastic name. Uh, And and that that book is never going to have the same impact if that character's name isn't Dracula. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, he also found out that you know, Vlad fought the Turks and, you know, battled them, you know, uh, battled them back and that he was a great military leader. It's about, that may have been the extent of what he knew. You know, Elizabeth Miller, for instance, is firmly believes that Bram Stoker did not even know that his first name was Vlad, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, he, she, he knew this, only knew the Dracula. Uh, uh, where, and, and again, there's a debate. Among that, some people say no. He knew it was Vlad Tepish or whatever. Yeah, because because he what got Transylvania. He he then sets the story in Transylvania,
2: which he got and, pretty wrong.
0: <laughs> well, Vlad did not rule Transylvania. Vlad ruled the Wallachia to the south. Uh, why does he? Why does Stoker move it to Transylvania? He liked the name. Transylvania sounded. He never been there. You know, when somebody said you've never even been there, he, he said it's like a tree's a tree. You know, wherever you find a tree is a tree. So, uh, so he created a mythical Transylvania, which lives in our imaginations to this day. Um, and he, you know, so he creates a character from from Dracula. So names are important; they're always important to authors. So somewhere along the line, Jeff stumbled across the Kolchak name, and he just liked it. He just, he just, he just liked the name. He decided it was Romanian, and it's his world, and he gets to decide the rules. Uh, and then Darren comes along and he decides it's Polish. And this has always set up the debate about the heritage. Do you go with Darren or do you go with Jeff on this? Mm-hmm. Well, and of and
1: of course they have the, the episode, not that Bradley still hasn't seen these. So Bradley is staying pure as the driven snow and he has only seen the first TV movie, but uh, I'll give a little bit away. He stumbles into a place, Bradley, and they tried to tell him his family his family crest and tell him all kinds of things but like you mark though i i did look up uh the kolchek name found the russian uh general i guess and it and his story though oddly it does kind of fit to the carl story because because he was you know uh, kind of denounced by the russians because he sided with the americans
0: He's a hero who yeah he really was really was a hero yeah
1: but, I thought that was neat which could have been just you know happenstance.
0: I think it is happenstance. I don't I don't think Jeff you know named him Kolshack because of the Admiral. I think again he just sort of liked the name yeah. and it sounded vaguely European to to Jeff and he just said this is where I'm going. <laughs> so again, you know, it's like it, it it's not like it's going to fit uh if you go looking for this and say well wherever I find Kolshack that must be that's what Carl is, you know, that's not how fiction works. Right. That's Not how, 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 how this works, you know, I'm, you know, I, I've always kind of, my heart has always sort of gone with Darren's choice because, you know, I was raised Polish, I'm Polish, you know, so the the, the name is Polish. So I, I kind of like, you know, uh, I, I kind of like Darren's choice.
1: Like it. And then you also pronounce it the way that I do in the way that, Carl I, does.
0: Right? I pronounce it the way Darren pronounced
1: it. Exactly. And I mm. have gone through and found every single time somebody else says it wrong. in and, and all the times it's, 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 that he uh, says it hard. correctly. Yes. And uh, um, so I, I love the fact that you say Shaq.
0: You know, one of the things that you're going to find, though, is, and for a while I wondered whether this was intentional or not, almost all of the villains say mm-hmm. it wrong. Mm-hmm. Starting with Claude Aikens they they're the ones who say, Kolchak, what are yeah. you doing? You know, and then he says Kolchak, you know, so oh, I right. always go with, with Darren's pronunciation is in this, and I've had other, you know, Kolchak people ask me, why do you pronounce it that way? Say, because that's the way he pronounced it, you right. know, because that's the way right. Darren. Yeah.
1: Well, we, we had debates in my house. And I mean, when I was, again, I was six years old when this came out, but I remember my dad, and my brothers all going through these debates, you know, on how we were supposed to say it. And then we went on to whether it was Muhammad Ali or Muhammad Ali, and you know, anyway, well, this, this, again, this was my household.
0: Somebody cannot be wrong at how they pronounce their name. Let me put it this way: when my grandfather got to Ellis Island, he entered Ellis Island as Kashmir Devizjak. He left it Charlie Devizjak. Gotcha. And, and that is how you know the family has pronounced the name ever since. Mm-hmm. Now, if 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 I all of a sudden decided it it should be pronounced Divizyak. I'm not wrong. You're not wrong about, you know, look, when I, early in my career, I was worked in uh, Southwest Virginia, Upper East Tennessee. I worked at small newspapers, that area. And there's a town in Southwest Virginia uh, that's named for a Polish war hero, an American Revolution war hero, P-U-L-A-S-K-I. Well, I grew up not far from Pulaski Boulevard, there's the Pulaski Bridge in New York, there's the Pulaski Parade. Any poll in New York will tell you it is pronounced Pulaski. The town pronounces it Pulaski. <laughs> well, they're not wrong. It's their town. <laughs> you know, it is their town well, the... and they get to decide, you know. Yes.
1: Yeah. So Spe- speaking as someone from Kentucky, I'll, I'll tell you we at least say Pulaski.
0: Yeah, but we have, yeah, you know, there are town. there's a town in Virginia called Buchanan. You know, oh gosh, we would say Buchanan, right? Right, we would right. say President Buchanan, it's it's pronounced Buchanan. They say Buchanan, well, they know where they live, you know, so exactly. you know, so that's why I go with Darren's pronunciation. That's why I've always gone with Darren's. Pronunciation. I like it, I like it. Bradley, oh. do you have a yeah. yeah,
2: ironically, my parents got married in Pulaski, Tennessee. Uh,
0: really interesting this fact, yeah yeah,
2: Pew Lasky, I'll have to tell them that, uh, maybe the, maybe the marriage is null and void since they didn't get the city right. I don't know. Um, so, uh, we, we, I think we'd already talked about who owns the rights to the character. Cole shack. Um, uh, is it just NBC or.
0: No, and NBC owns nothing. NBC. It's universal. NBC owns the 20 episodes they made in that. But the
2: so the, the family owns the, uh,
0: ABC owns the uh, ABC, which is now owned by Disney. When ABC w- was purchased by Disney, part of that purchase was ABC Circle Films, and ABC Circle Films owned the, what's called the dramatic rights to Coleshack. That means all rights concerning Coleshack for movies and television. That is owned now by Disney because they own ABC, which owned ABC Circle Films. So this is very clear. Disney is the sole possessor of the dramatic rights. Jeff Rice retained the literary rights mm-hmm. to Kolchak, okay. Meaning if you do anything in print, comic book, and uh, some merchandising, gaming and things like that, Jeff retained those rights. So that allowed Jeff to authorize Moonstone and other people to do Kolchak stories. If Disney ever does decide to make a new Kolshak movie, they will go after those rights vigorously. They will try to regain the rights that Jeff retained. Um, They will, they will throw around a lot of money for those rights. If if all of a sudden there's a big movie or the chance for a new series or something like that. But as of now, the rights are held by two different, uh, there are, there are Jeff's rights. Um, which passed to his son when, when, when he died, his, his son and heir. And then there are the liter- the dramatic rights, which are owned by Disney. NBC Universal owns nothing more than the 20 episodes that they made. So okay. That, okay. That, good. And it's just that simple. It's just, I mean, again, it's, it, it's complicated, but it's simple at the same time. Yeah.
2: Okay. Good to clear that up. Uh, cause I think I was confused on that too. Uh, who does Mark think would play, would make a good call shack, uh, if it was to be remade. And, uh, Terry here says, I think Mark Wahlberg would be, would be able to pull it off. Uh, what do what do you
0: think about that? Well, not a bad choice because he's young enough, you know, and old enough at the same time. See, the thing is, I, a lot of people say Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston is my age. Brian Cranston is sixty-four. You know, he is not going to play Carl Kolschak at this point. You know, it's like, well, Brian Cranston 20 years ago would have been a great choice mm-hmm. for, for for so you need somebody who's old enough that they look like they've been kicked around by life a bit, kicked in the teeth by life, and young enough that they can run down dark alleys and into sewers and chase monsters. You need that combination. So you need somebody who is young enough to be as vital as Darren was when he was playing the part. Darren was in his late 40s when he first played Kolshak, but he was playing about 10 years younger. He was very in very good shape then, very fit, and he could pass for about 10 years younger than he was. So ideally, you're probably looking at somebody in their early 40s, their early to mid 40s to play it, and then they would not only need that combination, have a look that looked, like I said, have a little bit of world weariness to them, like they'd seen some of life, because Kolshak has seen some of life. That was the problem with casting somebody as young as Stuart Townsend to do it in the 2005 revival. He looked like he hadn't lived any of life. He was a kid. He looked like he was in his 20s. Um, and then there's something else you need with Kolshak. You need somebody who can do a combination of sort of that noir toughness and smartass at the same time. They got to be able to pull that off. And then whoever plays it can't be reminiscent of Darren. They've got to be able to make the part their own. If you pass anybody who's close to Darren, they'll see Darren. And they will for it'll forever doom anybody who's going to play it. So you need somebody who can do, you know, I mean, I'll give you an actor I think could have done it in the 90s. And it's going to come as a real surprise to you when I say this, because it's not going to be anybody's idea of Kolschak. I think Jeff Goldblum could have done it in the, in the, in the 90s. Really? So if you see Jeff Goldblum, he's got that smart-ass quality. He's got that weird quality. He's got that anti-authority quality. And he doesn't, remi- he doesn't remind you of Darren. He doesn't remind you of, of, of Darren in any way. And yet he's got all of the essential qualities that you want in Kohl's He's old enough that he looks like he has seen some of life. He looks like he he could have played that sort of determined reporter type. And uh, so, you know, and then, I, you know, a few years later, I said, Brian Cranston, even before he had done Breaking Bad. I said, well, actually, when he was doing Malcolm in the Middle, I said, Brian Cranston, because I could see, you know, then he showed that how much he could play the dark side of things in Breaking Bad. and now, today, um, again, I'm open to it. If anybody wants to, to do it, to try it, you know, um, I'm more concerned about who the director and the writer will be than I am who the actor would be, you know, because I, it's got to be somebody who, who understands all these things that we're talking about. Then you're going to get it right. Then you're going to get it correct. But if you give it to a director, you know, if you're going to say to me, who would you like to see direct? a remake of night stalker i'm going to tell you right off the bat i know who the director should be it should be guillermo del toro because del Mm. toro knows that era loves that era he is a monster kid he grew up on all that stuff and he knows it back and he'll treat it right he'll get it he'll understand it and Mm -hmm. i think del toro is the guy is like the perfect guy i think del toro should have done the dark shadows movie the the, the 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 thing that went wrong immediately with the dark shadows movies was that it was a tim burton movie you know who immediately put johnny depp in it and then immediately it turned into a farce instead of it I, if you had redone dark shadows and done it seriously you could have done it to a fairly well you could have done it really really well and really done it taking it seriously and del toro would have uh, cuz del toro loves that era he loves night gallery he loves all the the old movies and I think he would put a fresh coat of paint on this like nobody's business, you know? So he'd be the guy I'd He'd be my go-to guy as far as directing. Uh, uh, if I, if I just say, who would you put in charge of a Night Stalker reboot? I'd say, go get del Toro. Yeah.
1: yeah right. I think, I think um, for the actor, uh, I, I do this too, all the time. and think about who, who I would choose and Matt Damon's name has kind of come through for me. Sometimes Um, I think it's similar to a Mark Wahlberg um, when you're thinking of that. And I think Damon may have a little bit uh, rougher looking face and and maybe his age is closer to what you want. But, you know, the the person, if you want it not to seem like Darren, then actually I would love to see Simon Pegg um, play the role
0: great great not a bad choice you yeah know? not really yeah. and i know that they yeah. tried to use his a track record in the genre too i mean yeah you know, like jeff goldblum would have had in the 90s you know because mm-hmm. goldblum had done the fly he had done you know jurassic park he had done you know so, so he sort of had this kind of uh, uh genre credits at that point his bona fides was good in, in in the field and simon Pegg's the same way uh so yeah not 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 a bad choice actually
1: yeah, I'd, I'd like him. And of course, you know, he's infamous, not infamous, but famously known for, you know, his dissertation being about either Star Wars or Star Trek. I can't remember which one it was, um, but I, think I believe it was Star Trek. It could have been Star Wars. I don't know. Well, oh, but is. anyway, um, just I, I, I love that guy. And uh, and then, you know, sometimes I think about Robert Downey Jr., but again, he's sort of past the age. And so that's that's a tough one.
2: Uh, I to think I got one. What what about, uh, Tom Hiddleston, he uh, plays Loki in the, uh, Avengers movies. I think he would be, he, he I, cause he, he also, if you, that Loki character sort of has that, uh, that, that smugness the to him. Yeah. yeah. The irreverence. He,
0: has, he uh. definitely has that. Um, of course he's only know, 40 you know, right again, now. I, I, I think, you know, the, there's, there's any number of possibilities. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think there's, there, there are good actors out there. You know, there are a lot of good actors. But, um, and also because very few people had played the kind of character Darren had played in a horror when Darren had come along to do this in the Night Stalker. It has since been done a lot. It has since been, you know, we've seen a lot of this. And, and, And making humor part of horror, you know, I mean, humor's always been part of horror, but making it a big part, like humor's always been used to relieve tension in horror all the way back, you know, like the, James Whale was famous for it in the Universal films of the 1930s. He was famous for these outrageous little bits of humor. But humor as an integral part of the whole storytelling, you know, which has become increasingly a part of horror. There's very few horror films that don't have a sense of humor now. While, you know, humor used to be used just to relieve it, it's what's made parody of horror films almost impossible. Like every few generations you get a, a parody of a horror film, like A Young Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. And then from the moment that Wes Craven decided to do the Scream movies and say, basically, you know what? We're going to make a horror film and we're going to satirize ourselves. We're going we're to we're uh-huh. satirize our own stuff and we're going to get the laugh. We're going to do this in front of everybody. At that point, it became almost unthinkable not to do intelligent horror, which also didn't have a sense of humor to it. Yeah. And it is almost made because horror takes care of its own laughing now, you know, which is something which, you know, it, it's almost made the parody of the horror film possible to do. I'm more concerned with the verities of the character than I am. In yeah. mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, Hamlet or it's like Sherlock Holmes. I'm open to sort of interpretations of these things. Um, look how many great Sherlock Holmes we've had. And if you sort of shut the door on it and say, no, 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 it can only be Basil Rathbone. It's, it begins and ends with Rathbone, but we never would have gotten Jeremy Brett. We never, we never would have gotten Benedict Cumberbatch. We'd never got, gotten Robert Downey Jr. We would have never gotten Peter Cushing. All the other people who have played this part and played it in very, very, but the verities of the character is always the same. No matter how Holmes looks or what actor is playing it, what's true is the spirit of the character. And that I am much more concerned with, 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 with than anything else, because it's so easy to miss, you know, those Mm essentials. You can be a smart ass, you can be a hard driving seeker of truth. You can be somebody who's a little bit world weary. You can somebody who is as a person of great vitality and energy, and all those things are Kolschak. And it doesn't matter, you know, what color you are. It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter, you know, those those verities are sort of like, you know, it's like Hamlet can. If Kolschak is a great character, and I think he is, then he is open to interpretation. I, the people kind of say like, no, 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 no. Darren McGavin is the only person who could ever play the part. Then it's kind of limiting. You're kind of insulting Polshack then when you say right. that. You're sort of like mm-hmm. saying nobody else can play. It's, you know, I hear this about Columbo too, where people basically say, you know, no, Peter Fox the only person who can ever play it. You know, there can't be another Columbo. Well, that's sort of like saying, you know, there can only be one Hamlet. You know, if, if this is, if Columbo is the Hamlet of detective characters and you believe that, then he should be open to interpretation. He should be open to somebody else making his... And so I feel the same way about Kolshak, which is, you know, the only thing I wouldn't want to see is somebody casting it because, okay, here's an actor who reminds me of Darren. Right. Then you're going to be dead before you... Then you're chasing a ghost at that point. You're going Mm -hmm. to lose. And you're just just going to lose at that point. But, uh, you know, one of the things I love about all the Sherlock Holmes is the fact that i can look at benedict cumberbatch and i can look at robert downey jr and i can look at the very and jeremy brett and they've all got homes they've all got yeah. it and yet they are they're, there's they're, they don't look alike they don't it's not like you would have any trouble picking these guys out of a police lineup right. they they don't look the same and yet the homes is essentially true The interpretation of Holmes is just as an interpretation of Pamlet has got to be essentially true for it to work. It has to work through the verities of what Shakespeare put on the page. The same thing is going to be true. And I happen to think that Columbo and Kolschak are great characters. I happen to believe that they are, you know, and and I believe that Peter and Darren cast long shadows. They they cast amazingly long shots. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, <laughs> and I'm not going to say it's going to be you know it's it is it, it essential. But I I'm not opposed to it, you know. I'm not immediately opposed to somebody reinterpreting these mm-hmm. characters. Yeah, you Sounds might. Good. Well, you yeah, go ahead, Bradley. I was
2: going to say you might even say that they cast uh, long. Dark shadows.
1: I knew knew he was going there. That's why I wanted to cut him off. (laughs) That's why. Let's let's do this. Let's let's bring one more question in here. And we apologize if we don't get everybody's uh, Facebook questions in here. I I know we've actually already just randomly answered a lot that were out there. But, um, Mark, and maybe not go into tons of detail about this one, only because of Bradley's, you know, pure driven snow but what is your favorite Cole Shack episode? If, if we're oh, talking TV.
0: Oh, you know, the, I'm on the record on this. I'm clearly, I believe the, 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 the height of the series was horror in the heights. I believe that it's the finest mm-hmm. one they did. I don't think it's any mistake that it's the only episode that was written by a true oh. horror writer that it was written by Jimmy Sangster who had done all the hammer horror films. Uh, and it has a great idea in it. It is a mm-hmm. fantastic idea behind it. Great ideas in horror are hen's teeth. They're extraordinarily rare. Most horror stories, as good as they are, films, whatever, are just basically replays of ideas you've already seen. You know, it's the haunted house motif. It's the, you know, the creation story. It is the what is the transformation story. You know, it's we almost all horror stories you go back to brilliantly reinterpreting, you know, ideas that are already there. And, uh, you know, Stephen King is, most of Stephen King is that, you know, is basically, uh, there there are not a lot of what you would call blazingly original ideas. You know, actually the shining has one and uh, the Kubrick film throws it away, but you know, the, the, the ultimate secret of the, that book is great. I mean, it's, you know, when I read The Shining and I got to that point, which is the resolution of of who uh, Tony is, the, who comes and, and talks to, to Danny. When I got to that point, I put the book down, stepped back and applauded. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean that, is good. that is so good. Um, and Horror in the Heights has got one of those ideas, which is the Rakshasha, which is an Indian, meaning India, demon spirit that comes to you in the form of the person you trust the most. It comes to kill you in the form of your mother, your best friend, uh, whoever, your mentor, their teacher, your beloved teacher, whoever is the person you trust the most, it comes and it comes to kill you. That is a great idea. That is just a fantastic idea. That would be a great idea in any, in any era, in any horror story. And it's and it's, this, it's no mistake that I think that this came from the one writer who was connected to that series who has actually had horror credits. And that was Jimmy Sangster. And I, and I think that that episode comes closest to showing what that series could have been week in and week out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a close second is the Spanish Moss Murders. So I think that's a very close second for me.
2: Oh, Mark, I completely agree. The Shining book is amazing. Uh, I, I read it and I, I had the same reaction. Uh, did you ever uh, read Dr. Sleep, the sequel? Yes, yes yeah,
0: it was just right here. right here. Yes, yes. And
2: the the sequel, I think the follow-up book was amazing as well. And it, I, I sort of think I liked it. this might be My- sacrilege. But I think I liked it better than The Shining.
0: My wife really enjoyed uh, Doctor Sleep as well, and she's a big fan of The Shining. Mm-hmm. But you know, it it sort of, uh, without giving anything away, you know, Stephen King, because uh, my my most recent book was was a Stephen King. It was of the show I did a deep dive on The, about Shawshank. About the Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and I've interviewed King s- several times over the years, and. You know, we, when we, talk, we, we were talking specifically about Shawshank because he said that, you know, when you're a horror writer, you're going to give evil its innings.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's incumbent on you as a horror writer to also give good its innings every once in a while. And I think that sort of comes through in a lot of the best of his work. Um, and I think Shawshank is a very good example of that. And I think taken together, The Shining and Dr. Sleep indicate that, show that both sides of that uh, equation. So you mm-hmm. know, I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the appeal of those, those books is that he gives evil its innings and he gives good its innings in yeah. and, and, and those.
2: And Dr. Sleep had a lot of vampire-esque elements with the, uh, the, the group uh, that, that, that Danny encounters. Uh, I mean, they had a lot of uh, sort of characteristics Cherry picked. I think King took a lot of that, a lot of the characteristics of vampires from the lore, and gave it to his uh, the uh, antagonists.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because King is not known as sort of a vampire specialist in any way, and he isn't. You know, mm-hmm. it's just when you look at the, he, he's had vampires, and you know, certainly Salem, But even King will tell you that Salem's Lot was his 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 experiment to sort of combine dracula and i am legend into one book uh which it is basically if you look at i uh, at, at salem's lot you have sort of the dracula figure the king vampire figure in it all and you have the invasion of the the town but then you have the army of vampires the horde of vampires that comes right out of i am legend so he was basically taking the two greatest vampire novels which preceded him and i think he was almost like you know you know uh I am legend was the tennis ball and uh, Dracula was the brick wall. He was hitting it against as he was uh, developing this idea that uh, becomes this incredible book because, and, and Salem's lot really isn't even, you know, it's only his second novel. It's still one of his best, you know, and it's still, when you're going to, if you're going to make a list of the 10 greatest vampire novels of all time, I think Salem's lot's going to be on everybody's list.
2: Oh, definitely. And Robert, for one more thing, uh, well, you know, to go back to Shawshank, I, Shawshank Redemption has to be one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I used to work at a, before that we shut down, before they closed the doors, a, it was a retro video game store. We carried a lot of DVDs, but a Blu-ray player ended up coming in and I'd always keep, it was a little small compact Blu-ray player. And i would always keep it in a bag and I'd keep, uh, I'd usually keep three different movies. Like I would keep Goodwill Hunting because I always sort of liked that movie, thought it was a good movie. Uh, then I'd keep like a horror film, uh, just depends. I'd change it from day to day. I'd pick, put something of King in there and I'd always put in Shawshank. And, uh, that was actually the first movie me and my wife saw together with Shawshank Redemption. Uh,
0: I, I, you know, I was there uh, when they were shooting it.
2: Oh, and I watched it with my wife. Oh, oh okay.
0: <laughs> no, I know. I said, I missed that. I, I, I had uh-huh. an invitation, but I missed it. Uh, no, the, uh, when they, 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 they shot the film here in Ohio. Uh, in, in the Mansfield area, the mm-hmm. Ohio State Reformatory was uh, that amazing building. Is the is the Shawshank State Prison? And uh, 1993, I got a fax. If you remember faxes from and from the Ohio Film Commission, saying they were going to film uh, a movie, which was then going to be called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it did I want to you know cover it? So I, I covered the making of the movie. Uh, for the Akron, I was the film critic at the Akron Beacon Journal at the time, so uh, I, I I was filed stories, you know, from the set. And uh, when I finished the uh, the Twilight Zone book, my next book was actually going to be on Stephen King. Uh, the book my agent was shopping was going to be, uh, in retrospect, probably uh, would have been a, a suicide book to write, because I wanted to write. A, I had proposed a book about the film and TV adaptations of Stephen King's work, which is an immense topic. You know, it it is possible to construct a book which is too heavy to pick up. And that's what that idea was. But uh, over the years, I've interviewed a fierce amount of people, including Stephen King, uh, about the, the film and TV productions of his work, because of dint of what I, I did as a journalist all those years, so it all kind of came to me. I had a, dozens upon dozens of interviews um, with people who worked on all the different movies, and so I, I had this vast resource. I thought I got to use this in some way. So that was the book my agent was was shopping around, and thank goodness she had hadn't sold it yet. When I kind of I realized that the 25th anniversary of Shawshank was coming up and that kind of went, my brain went, put on the break. And I called my agent and said, let's pull that chapter out and make the whole book. Uh, just instead of doing a lot of a big book on all of these, different, let's just do one book on a, and make it a real deep dive on just Shawshank. And uh, so she liked that idea. and We found a publisher really fast for that idea. And I made the 25th anniversary, which we premiered at the prison during the, the big 25th anniversary reunion event. Uh, and that book was so much fun because I ended up doing about 75 interviews for that book with everybody from Stephen King down to the woman who trained the rats for the prison scene. And I talked to extras. I talked to the actors in it. I talked to the, you know, the, the people, the location people. Everybody had a good story everybody who worked on that film had a great story i was just sitting back and listening to the stories and having a good time and i could have easily easily done 70 more interviews for that book and been very happy but i had to cut it off at some point in order to make the 25th anniversary so you know at some point i had to stop and just start writing so i finally said okay well then i gotta stop now but um that movie is very special. That, that, that experience is very special. And the writing of that book was very special, you know, because uh, I spent that summer traveling back to Mansfield and traveling back to the locations where they filmed it. And um, there's this thing now uh, in, in central Ohio called the Shawshank trail, which is um, 15 locations used in the movie. And it's like a pilgrimage trail. If you love that movie, you can the set is here. The set was not on some Hollywood sound stage when it got torn down or something like that. The set is here. It's right here right now. You want to walk where the characters walk, put your hand on those sets, It's here. And it starts with the Ohio State Reformatory, that amazing prison, which was Shawshank. And you can do this. It takes about three days to drive. It's a driving tour, and it takes about three days, but it'll take you to all the locations. This is one of the very few movies where you can actually live for a while inside the movie if you want. You can go inside Shawshank State Prison. You can go and stand where Andy and Red stood. You can go walk the streets. You can go to the bench where Brooksy fed the pigeons. You can do all these things. You can't do this with any other movie. You can't put your hands on any of it. There's only one location, which is not here. 99% of the film was shot here. Just the last scene, the beach of Zawataneo, is actually St. Croix. They shot that that in one day in St. Croix. So that's the one thing on the Shawshank Trail that you can't do in Ohio. It's actually a stop on the Shawshank Trail, but you got to get to St. Croix to do it. But everything else is here. So, you know there's this immense connection to that film. It's a physical connection. It's an emotional connection. Um, and it's a film which just rises every year in people's estimation. And I think one reason is that when it came out in ninety four, you know times were pretty good ninety four the economy was good, the job market was good. We weren't nearly as divided as a society or a nation or world, and things have only gotten worse since that film came out. And the notion of keeping hope alive in desperate circumstances is a message which I think has grown in resonance since that movie came out, and it has more meaning now than it did then. And, you know, it's very comparable, actually, I think, to The Grapes of Wrath, the John Steinbeck's novel, um, which is basically a story about people crawling through shit, Except, you know, the Joads do it metaphorically, and Andy does it literally. (laughs) Uh, But basically, they're both stories about people keeping hope alive under desperate circumstances. And the themes of the two stories are exactly the same. Except I think that Shawshank speaks to us in a voice that the Grapes of Wrath no longer does. And I think that in some ways, the Shawshank Redemption has become our Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, and uh, so and I think that's a pretty par- It's a pretty powerful thing to say about a writer like Stephen King. I think you know is, in uh, that movie, both, you know, is, uh, you know, I think, and and I've said this, you know, before, but I I I honestly believe that Stephen King is an underrated writer, for all mm-hmm. his success, mm-hmm. and his presence, and his you know the fact that he's internationally known and, and everything like that. It sounds kind of silly to say he's underrated, but I think he is underrated. Yeah, and, and I, I don't. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say,
2: even like his book on writing, well, that's probably one of the best tools for, that a writer can have at their disposal, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it's one of the
0: only two books on writing I recommend to people.
2: Yeah, it's, I, it is amazing. It's amazing. great
0: book on writing, the other is the Strunk and White's uh, the, the Elements of Style. Yeah. But I think, the, 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 you know, I think there are very few books on writing which are worth anything.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree with that. Because, uh, you know, like Robert, I, I did, I'm i not an English major, but I was an English tutor in college for a year and a half. Uh, um, and, you know, I really enjoyed doing all that. And, and it's almost like, you know, going back to the 25 plus years now since, uh, you know, we said we're, we're more connected in the 94. It's almost like the technology that's brought us more together has sort of spread us more apart as well sort of tore us more apart
0: no i think that's that's exactly right uh and yeah and i
2: think there's also a paranormal element like a spiritual element to uh and maybe this is something we'll get into later on down the road and we me and you or robert you want to join us for a just a specific podcast just all about uh we could do it all about king we could even just do it all about that particular movie you know because people go to the are shops workshopping what are you doing man? no i'm I, i'm Get just saying point. like we just have a shawshank redemption podcast that's all we talk about uh, uh i i
1: wouldn't have any issue with that i love that
2: movie. oh yeah but even the paranormal people who actually still go to the loca- location who said it was haunted even before they uh which i know i, to- I heard your story mark about the one instance of uh Was it the the two books that you had the
0: the? Oh, yeah, the the haunted library,
2: the haunted library story. Yeah, Yeah, with the hardcover and the soft cover, and then you had the tape of uh, what what was the tape? Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist.
0: Yeah. As uh, oh yeah, and 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 you know, uh, the great thing about that is you know I wasn't going to tell that that's on the end of one of the vampire talks, and the people who had invited me to do that talk. It was the 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 woman who had who was introduced me. It was her birthday, and she said, "Will you do me a favor?" I said, "Well, will you tell me a ghost story at the end of that?" And I said, "Okay, you know." Well, <laughs> I, so at the end of it, I said, I'll, "I'll tell I'll tell you something that came from my my experience." And I told the story there, at the end of that. That's the only reason that's on that. At the end of that, is it has nothing to do with the vampire talk at all. It got tacked on because it was a birthday gift to. Uh, the person is organizing that but that story always does get people you know uh because uh, i always say you know like oh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: i'll tell you what happened you know you can draw yeah. your own conclusions oh,
2: 100% yeah and uh, yeah. uh all right robert uh, did you have did you want to do the quick fire the uh, quick draw stuff
1: well this i mean this was your idea
2: oh so you you to me to, do you want to you want to shoot it I, out? I
1: added i added to it so I'd say, why don't you go ahead and take your list if you've mm-hmm. got it. Do you have it drawn up?
2: I got it right here, yeah.
1: Okay. Take, take your list and start with it, and then I'll, when you get done with yours, I'll do mine. And, Mark, we've just compiled um, a list of vampire-themed movies and, and or TV shows, and we're, we're giving you three options. And, and those, for those of you keeping score at home, Mark does not have cue cards to, to remind him what these three options are, but <laughs> we're going to go with basically like it, love it, or blah.
2: No, no okay. it's blah, you know, like Dracula. Yeah. You got to do it that way every time. No, I'm just okay. kidding, Mark. You
1: could do however you wish on that, but like <laughs> it, love it, or say love it, like can it, Do I get to explain why? You, well, yeah, not, yeah. not now. Not, not okay. now? I think we just right. rapid fire. We'll okay, try yeah. to go with that. Well, and, like you know, it. Like it's too close. To- you want to be off the cuff, man. So this yeah. is the most we can get.
2: Good. Okay. All right. Uh, starting off with a banger here. All right, Mark. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. yeah
0: hey, <laughs>
2: <laughs> beautiful. beautiful. 30 Days of Night. L- love it. Uh, uh, Cronenberg's Rabid. Like it. Uh, from Dust Till Dawn.
0: Love it.
2: The 79 Nosferatu, the vampire. Like it. Uh, Blood for Dracula. Like it. Uh,
0: Blackula. Like it. Salem's like Lot. It, leaning towards Love It. <laughs>
2: okay. Salem's Lot. Love it. Vampirius Lesbos.
0: Haven't seen it.
2: Well, okay. Uh George A. Romero's Martin. Like it. Uh Blade. Love it. Uh the Dark Shadows remake.
0: <laughs>
2: Dark Shadows original. Wait,
0: wait, 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 The movie or the ninety one?
2: No, the series? the, the, the movie.
0: The okay,
2: okay, okay, right. Okay, okay yeah, and then I was gonna go next the ninety one series. Like it. The original series. Love it. Ninety two Dracula. Which one? The '92 Dracula, the Coppola Dracula.
0: Like it, leaning towards love it. You know, we've already sort of yeah, we did, we did. Obviously, talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I have my problems
1: with it. Uh, I tell you what, Mark. There, there are times I say this about people, and I mean it. I mean it very sincerely. And I'm still going to go with my list. But there are certain people I meet in my life who are more than the sum of their parts. In <laughs> in you taking our like it, love it, and blah. <laughs> <laughs> and in and, and, and giving it everything you got this this is probably the highlight of at least my night going on three hours here because we're all slap happy now <laughs> but um i i just love that and it, after we do this i do have one final question about jeff rice that somebody asked okay i think here. we ought to get to it but here's here's my quick list and these are going to be a little specific in some cases Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, season six, Once More with Feeling, the musical.
0: Love it. Oh, thank you.
1: Angel, season one. Love it. Episode, uh, well, I'm sorry. Um, I Am Legend original and the remake.
0: Are you talking about Last Man on Earth, the Vincent Price movie? the
1: Um, I'm sorry. No, I don't even know this. So I'm, I'm thinking,
0: Oh, Robert. Oh, come on. Movie versions of I am legend. So, okay. Then then (laughs) give me all three. Okay. There is last man on earth with Vincent price. Like it. There is Omega man as an adaptation of I am legend. The as a movie, love it. Uh, and then there's the Will Smith. I am legend like it. Um, Okay. You would asked uh, Richard that question. He would have given you a bluff for all three. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: I knew I would. I would like come through as a poser when I'm asking these questions, and I don't care. It's my idea to do this Shack Loops podcast anyway. So stick it. Here we go. Um, uh, the Buffy, the Josh Whedon Buffy movie. You mean the the, the idea so, of one? So so no. So Josh Whedon did the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Oh the oh oh you mean the
0: Christy Swanson movie?
1: Correct. Oh like it? Correct. Directed by, written by yeah. Josh Whedon.
0: Yeah. like it.
1: Okay. Yes. Um, the Lost Boys movie. Love with it. With Keifer Sutherland. Love it. All right. Season one of Penny Dreadful. Love it. Isn't that just amazing? interview with a vampire. Love it. Twilight. It's kind of the whole series. It's a tough one.
0: Okay. Blood going towards like it.
2: Okay. Okay. You know,
0: it, is, it is it it listen, it, it, this is a bigger conversation. Hey, or, hey yeah,
2: I know. Hey Robert, uh I I hate to break up our rapid fire. My mom actually makes trips to uh Washington to go visit everything and I don't know. I, I just thought I'd throw that out there.
0: It it just ain't. It was never made for for us. It was never made for 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 people. You know, it was made for a very specific demographic. It's hard to like something. You know, to to percent. Oh, I, I understand the appeal of Twilight. I get it, and I you know get it. But it's never going to be my type of being I don't put it down. But it is not my type of vampire storytelling.
2: Yeah, my mom my mom travels to Washington to go and
1: and so now I get what you're saying. See, I've never seen more than five minutes of it.
2: Hey, wait, no, do you hear, wait, do you hear that? That's my mom yelling, "Love it!" A few miles up the road. So. No,
0: and I do. I mean, like I said, listen, I get it. I, 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 and I and I don't put down anybody else's taste in this stuff, but it's it was never meant for us.
2: Yeah. Hey, mom, mom, if you're listening, I would give it a love it too. I would never say blah to twilight. Okay. That's all I gotta say.
1: I think you're just kissing up. <laughs> um Ethan Hawke's Daybreakers. Like it. Stakeland. Haven't seen it. That's a good one to see. Um the 2020 Dracula three part series. <laughs> you you can say like it, love it, or blah for all three if you want to like say first episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I get the, you, you're you're there are and it is exactly right um uh, mm-hmm. there are aspects of that thing that i'm going to say i love it there are aspects of that thing i'm going to say i like it and there are certainly certainly the and the third part is blah if there is ever so and it's so blah it might be the whole thing blah but uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> i can't wait till we talk about that i really yeah i really want to talk about that one mm-hmm. um hugh jackman's van helsing i like it okay the the very first the very first underworld movie. Oh, I like it. Yeah, Beck and So. All right. Good stuff. Um, let me ask this question that came up. Um, someone said they had heard that Jeff Rice actually wrote a backstory um, biography about Shack Now, is this myth or is this reality? And and if it's reality, is that something that you have in your, your notes of all the conversations you have with Jeff, um, or, or, or you, are you at liberty to discuss this at all?
0: I don't see why I wouldn't be at liberty to discuss it. <laughs> I mean, I'm being sarcastic with that one. Uh, it is not myth. Uh, Jeff wrote full biographies for Tony and Carl. Oh my gosh. I didn't oh. know that. And they, they, if you know, and if they are myths, then there are folders that are right over here to my left that are myths.
1: Uh, I'm <sighs> going we'll break into your house. Well, no, it, it,
0: it, you didn't hear the whole thing.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> when uh, we decided to do Grave Secrets in 94, and that was originally envisioned to be a series of novels. It was all 20 years later. And we decided that the char- we could not have the characters be 20 years later. You know, it was sort of the Rambo jump. You know, which is the author of Rambo killed off Rambo at the end of the the novel. Right. And he, he himself wrote a sequel to Rambo, and he started by saying, "You know, I killed Rambo off at the end of my book. The movies let him live. I decided that the movies are right." You know, and once you take that jump, you've taken the jump with the with the author. So we decided that we would. Tony and Carl are the same age. It's just that you know it's 20 years later, you know, so those 20 years, basically are, they, they, happen, they didn't happen. They're sort of just, you know, it's, it's a time warp type of thing. So uh, what Jeff did was he sat down and he wrote all new bios for Tony and Carl updating them 20 years. So instead of being seeing action in world war two, Carl would have seen action in Vietnam instead. And he wrote Mm -hmm. updated. So there are two versions of the bios. In other Mm -hmm. words, there are the original ones that Jeff wrote on Carl and Tony. And then there are the revised bios he wrote that were then used, uh, not just by us when we were planning them, but then also for the Moonstone world. Because then I created... In Grave Secrets, what I one of the things I tried to do in Grave Secrets, which you know is no secret, is I tried to um, basically reconcile all of the worlds that had been Kolchak up to that point hmm. and make sure that they were all incorporated in Grave Secrets. Some people notice this, and I'm always pleased when they do. In other words, the sensibility of Grave Secrets was Jeff's novels. The movies and the series, all of which have slightly different sensibilities. And I also brought in all of the characters. So uh, Cordy the Ghoul is a character in in the in the book. Uh, Ron Updike is a character in the book. Characters from the movie exist in in this world. So it was basically taking the Kolchak universe and reconciling it in some way. Uh, so it was on then setting the, the in in Hollywood. Jeff and I decided we would set the story in Hollywood uh, as the next step after Chicago. The notion being Kolshak's goal is always to get back to New York, to hit the big time and get back to New York. It's his stated goal. So you can't go to New York. You can you can never take Carl to New York because that ends, you know, his stated where he wants to be. But Hollywood was sort of uh, a great town because Jeff himself was living in Hollywood at the time. And I remember when we were planning Grave Secrets, um, uh, in the, that book was published in 94. So this was probably about 92. Uh, I went out to Los Angeles and I spent the day with Jeff. Jeff was in a house in Hollywood at the time. And we decided to we'd scout locations for the book, but since we're going to set it in Hollywood. And Jeff said, you know, the Hollywood Dispatch, the, the 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 Hollywood uh, the Examiner, whatever it was, there was a newspaper in Hollywood, and the building is still stands. It's this amazing Art Deco building from the 1930s, and it's an amazing. And as a matter of fact, they use it as a set for newspaper offices and movies all the time. This building, it's on Wilcox right off of Hollywood Boulevard. If you, if you could go down Hollywood Boulevard, take a ride on Wilcox. It'll take you down to where I, and again, I think it was the examiner, but I'm, I'm not sure. That is the building. That's the model for the newspaper that Carl's working for. Now, the Hollywood dispatch nicknamed the disgrace, because it's a tabloid newspaper. That's got one foot in respectability, which is kind of, I thought where Carl would end up, you know, uh, and Tony is, was working there and hires Carl. And right across from there was this awful, horrible, drugged-in hotel. And Jeff and I went in to the lobby, and the lobby was, you know, you could see this. This 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 was probably back in the day a residential hotel, and now it was pretty much a down on its it's 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 haunches and as was everybody who was living there if you could call it living and um the 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 lobby where there was a little counter the person there was behind bulletproof glass which will tell you something and we asked to see a room and he gave us a key and we went up we went up to where the room was we wanted the room that was at the front of the hotel that looked directly into what would have been the newsroom of the newspaper across the street, because we figured that's as close as Carl could come to to living in the newsroom. And we walked in, it was the most depressing little room you have ever seen. And it's described in the book, you know, and uh, there was something written on the mirror, which was a warning from somebody to somebody. That had been written in something that could not be taken off. I, that we, you know, <laughs> it couldn't be scraped off. It couldn't be. It was just. A, it was just a terrible little room. But you could see right into the what would have been the newsroom across the street, across Wilcox Avenue. And as we were leaving, you know, we there was one little closet. We opened the closet door, and Jeff looked in the closet and said, "Just enough room for a seersucker suit and a pork pie hat." And we took one last look back in the room because we were thinking we're going to, you know, we're not going to take the room. We're going to take it from a fictional standpoint. This is about going to become where Kolshak lives. And Jeff looked at me and said, do we dare do this to him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, I think this is the room. And he said, yeah, I think you're right. And we, we left, we get the key back, we left. And then we walked in the back. Of the hotel and what used to have be the garage attached to the hotel was now obviously an illegal chop shop, hmm. you know. And so we talked to the guy who was running it, and he became a character in the book. He became uh, a guy who was keeping Carl's uh, Mustang running in the book, and uh, he became a character in the book. So all of these kind of locations off of Wilcox became the the era. But one of the great. Uh, uh, memories I have of that is scouting those locations with Jeff, you know, so you know, and making the decisions as to what we were going to do and where we were going to place him in the book. So, uh, and Jeff was a, Jeff sort of acted as my editor on that book, you know, and he was excellent. All of the instincts, you could all of a sudden you could see the skills of that, that this wonderful writer and this you know it all came in the fore. And the, well, as we were as I was writing that book, and Jeff's suggestions were all good. Every single one of his suggestions made the book better. And he let me have my lead as far as where I wanted to do with the story. He was not intrusive. He did not impose his view in any way. He's a great editor. He's a really really fantastic editor.
1: Well I th- I think it's wonderful that you say that and and that's really part of the reason. I mean my intro that I give in our very first uh, podcast that we still haven't let out yet and we will release it when we release this one with you. But uh my intro is that this is Jeff Rice's baby. And 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 that's the way I like to think of it and then thereafter everyone else came in to interpret it and they did a fantastic job with fantastic material. But uh, I I love hearing that story about his skill. And it's really something that I hope with this podcast, we continue to draw back to the, the really, I think just the brilliance of what he did and combining all these genres and making this such a great story um, more, more than anything else. And, uh, and we'll have, you know, as much fun as we can have all along the way. Uh, while we do this and and uh, not that you have to hear this part of this, Mark, but, you know, we have um, decided to do even more with the story. uh it, and once the series is over and we cover that, we're going to look at all kinds of things. And that's why we're calling it Kolshak's loop and the influence that it had on everything. And uh, and of course, that's related to the Chicago loop. And uh, the train area, and when he refers to that, so, but I, I think we're we're going to have to draw to a close here after three hours.
0: I'll tell you what. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you something which I've never told anybody before about Jeff. If you have a couple minutes,
1: yeah, you know, please do. We
0: got all the
2: time in the world. You
0: know, I don't know that I've ever shared this story before. Um, But you know, Jeff um, never owned a computer. Jeff never he loved writing on an IBM Selectric typewriter. Uh, he, that the old the, the 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 one that had the carbon, which was a cartridge that you'd put in and it had a ball and the 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 cartridge it, the carriage didn't move the you know the, the paper. So it was a he that's what he wrote on. He always kept his IBM Selectrics uh, in full operation, but he never had a computer, and but he was uh a fierce correspondent. I have there's a steamer trunk back here which has several hundred letters from Jeff. Uh there was a correspondence which bag went back and forth, uh which was constant because Jeff liked to have everything documented and he loved to have things. But there were a lot of phone conversations. Jeff would call at, at you know odd hours and we would have long talks and Jeff had a very deep voice. Jeff had a very deep rolling voice. And you know, so you know, he, 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 you know, you call up and then you say, "Oh, Mark, what do you what do you think about uh, we're going to do this?" Yeah, it was just it would almost roll. Uh, so you know, he had a, and he had a very distinctive personality. You know, uh, some people call Jeff difficult. Um, I never found Jeff difficult. You know, uh, there were things about Jeff that were quirky, but he was I never found him to be difficult. I think people find people difficult who hold people to what they say they're going to do, especially in Hollywood. I was good friends with Harlan Ellison for 35 years. And Harlan also had the idea that people said he was difficult, but a lot of that came down to the fact that he remembered what people said they were going to do. And when they didn't do it, he would remind them. And people hate being reminded in Hollywood about their promises. But, you know, when Jeff died, I, I, I kind of, it was one of those things that really hit hard. Because I think, you know, I knew he died under, you know, circumstances which were unfortunate. And also because he did not have his due. He did not have the recognition that he deserved. And also because, you know, there was always the calls. There was always the letters. It was a constant, you know, we were in constant uh, contact with each other. And I had a dream. This is what's new. What I've never told anybody before. But a little while after Jeff died, I had a dream. And in the dream, because like, you know, when Jeff died, I was I was curious. Um, I called the coroner in real life. I I called the the Clark County coroner to ask you know about Jeff's death, and the coroner told me you know the circumstances and had shared everything with me. And you know because you know I wanted that part of the story, and so you know uh, he was very forthcoming in in in, in that. So a, couple, a few days later, I had this dream, and in the dream I was in Las Vegas, and I was investigating Jeff's death. I was walking the streets of Las Vegas, and I was asking questions, and in the dream, a couple of classic men in black came up to me and said we understand you've been asking questions about Jeff Rice and I said yeah he was my friend and you know he died and I want to, you know trying to find out more about it and they said well you know you've got to come with us and they took me to this government building and they put me in a room and I was left alone in the room and a little while later a woman came in and said, you know, we understand you're the person who's been asking questions about Jeff Rice and his his death. And I said, yeah, I said well, you know, as I told the officers, he was my friend. And, uh, and I'm trying to find out, you know, a little bit more about what happened. And he, she said, well, we're going to ask you to step across the hall into another room. But you can never tell what you've seen. And I said, Okay. And I walked in the room and there was a, a bed, and a, like a cot type of bed in there. And Jeff was sitting on the bed. And he said, I'm sorry I couldn't tell you. But I've been deep cover for the government for many years. And for to the rest of the world has to think that I'm dead. And, and, but I wanted you to know, you can't tell anybody. And we may never talk again. But I did want you to know this before you left Las Vegas. And that was when I woke up. And my first thought was, it's exactly what the son of a bitch would do. That's exactly what <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he would have pulled. <laughs> it, it was so realistic because I thought, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's exactly the type of thing that I would have would have found out, you know. So I've never shared that with anybody, but it, it also should, you know, it's kind of indicative of how, um, uh, how far home Jeff's death went, uh, mm. for me, you know. So, you know, there you go, guys. Like I said, there's, a, that's something I have never, never, you know, had reason to share with anybody before. But,
2: you know, I think that's a, that's a great way to, to wrap it all up. And, uh, I think if anything, uh, I I would I I can speak on behalf of Robert for this. I think that what we want to do is we want to capture the feeling of uh, I guess nostalgia. I mean, we you remember being a kid and watching it for the first time, Robert? You remember being a kid and seeing it? Uh, and I think there's a, a part of everyone that wants to recapture a little bit of that childhood, a little bit of that. I mean, even with you though, Mark, uh, recapture a little bit of that friendship. And I'm sure that uh, you watch it a little bit different now that he's not with us, you know, anymore. It sort of makes you think of it a different way, maybe. Uh and like like these I've got these these were I found these when I was a kid. They're little you say, they they were like little universal horror action figures and they're like from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh they're really expensive now. They're like 90 or 100 dollars a piece for some of them, but I'm, I got them in a yard sale as a kid. And I remember having them and playing with them and stuff. And I think everybody or you know there's people who are fascinated with monsters, fascinated of the idea of the unknown. Uh, with this one, part of the reason my jaws is so big, and and I think the Universal Monsters and uh, Kohl's Shack and stuff, that's why it still is so uh, current and relevant today, is just because of how impactful it is, and how uh, the horror genre is able to tackle subject matter like death. Uh, you know, you talked about this yourself, Mark, that the first vampires were females because that was sort of how they coped with uh, childbirth and losing you know, mothers dying during childbirth and stuff. And, uh, they would even attack mothers and uh, uh, pregnant women. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's full circle and every generation has this thing that they have to tackle. And, uh, I I don't know. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with this. I just, just...
0: Har is always, no, Har is always about the big stuff. It's always about the big themes. Mm -hmm. It's always about life and death. And evil, and all of these really, really big themes, uh, and it also gives us, as you know, I said in that talk, you know, it gives us a, me- a mechanism to to tackle these difficult themes, mm-hmm. to tackle these 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 things where we have trouble thinking about and talking about. It gives us a method of, of bending our mind around those things, and it's why, again, I think Stephen King's going to grow in his reputation because you know Stephen King is not only does that. He's also wrote about life for the average American in the 1970s and 80s. You're not going to get that from the fiction that was acclaimed by the New Yorker. You know, some middle-aged college professors, midlife crisis in Ann Arbor was was great literature, but Stephen King wasn't. Well, yeah, I got news for you. If you want to know what life on the streets in London was like in the 1840s, you have got to go to Charles Dickens. You're not going to get it from Thackeray and Carlyle and all of the people that the Academy was, was was cheering on. And if you want to know what life was like down at the 7-Eleven, what life was like at the at the Quickie Mart, in what life was like for the average person paying their bills and things like that, that's in Stephen King's novels. You know, below, underneath all of all of that other stuff, that's what's there. It's a record of that. Um, Stephen King is, I think, in 100 years, it's not going to do him any good to know this now, but if I think 100 years from now, Stephen King is going to be seen as one of the great writers of his generation. And I know that there are academics right now who are probably choking on their, their pretzels and beer when I say that, but it's, it's absolutely true. I think that Stephen King is going to finally be recognized, but, you know, horror, it always takes a long time for it to be recognized for it to, to, to make it's, you know, it it has its immediate impact, but then later on people sort of recognize it for what it is, which is really important.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, in, and somewhat closing, I mean, it's, it really is going back to the, the Greek tradition of having a cathartic experience and you know we, we we don't want to go through these experiences ourselves with this you know shock and and terror and and all those kind of things but we feel a lot better um, after we see them and uh, and uh, you know on on the psychological level of knowing we didn't have to go through it but we saw somebody else do it
0: it's the roller and, uh, the roller coaster mimics the death experience it plunges you from a great height in a way that intellectually, you know, it's safe. But yet when you're hurtling towards the ground, you're screaming your lungs out right. uh, as you, you know, because under any other circumstances, it would be a death experience. Mm-hmm. And that is what the horror story is, the horror story. And then at the end, there's this exhilaration. You know, what does exactly. everybody who comes off a roller coaster say? Let's do that again.
1: <laughs> well you you just you just did it right there mark so we we need to do this again um i even with as much as we talked i don't think we've covered it all and uh i, I would love to go into a, a deep dive in some of the episodes uh maybe when we get to horror in the heights uh we can go into a deep dive there um you know we have a lot of possibilities with that and um, we'll we'll put some information on here. I mean, I I just want a lot of people who are listening to this to follow you, Mark, because I, I think your contribution to this information uh, is, is just a, a fantastic opportunity for people to understand more and deeper levels. And and for me, the the connections that you draw for people together, and then what has happened, I just love them. So I appreciate you doing this for us and, and I greatly look forward to another time that we could do this in the future. And uh, thank you to my co-host, Bradley, who uh, you guys may think, you know, uh, as, as one of our other friends says, uh, we, we try to bring people in who know more about stuff than we do. And Bradley clearly um, knows a lot about the, the subjects that he talks about. And I appreciate that. Um, I, I will probably be a, a big aficionado on Kohlshack itself, but I love all the sexier information. So thanks again, Mark. Just fantastic wow. stuff. Look forward so much to talking to you again. And we'll put things in the show notes. And and people need to buy the $15 copy plus shipping um, that Mark has at his house. So Grave Secrets.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm well, easy to find on Facebook. I'm easy to find through my my author's page. You know, I'm one of the easiest people to find and locate that there are. You know, sounds so. good.
2: Yeah, Mark actually to
0: go uh, hunt the streets of Las Vegas to try to find me.
2: You know, Mark actually already has a uh, a, a royalty check coming from me. I I just bought his uh, Twilight Zone book through the Apple Store last night. Uh, So look forward well, for, for for thank that, you. that royalty check. Yeah, that's
0: that's that's another great love and another great, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> oh, it
2: is. Hey, I think we got time more. Let's get into that right now. So first yeah. question about. I'm sorry, what, what did, did I, oh gosh, I'm going. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, guys, I am going to pull this off. Um, um, Bradley, will talk again. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about the recording. Hopefully that you have more of it than I do. Um, considering <laughs> everything, we don't want to have to repeat all this. But uh, Mark, thanks again so much. And no, uh, thank you guys.
0: And and again, again, it was a you know we touched on a, a lot of things I, I I haven't thought about or haven't talked about. Uh, awesome. You know, so that that that's been fun. You know, Great. A, there's always new stuff, but you know it's it's always kind of fun to, to find yourself that you're not repeating yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mark, I did have a question. This is just a, sort of off topic. Talking about now, just talk about your mom, your grand. No, no, Robert. No, your grandma. You said she. A- I'm
1: gonna say goodbye to you. Wait, I just it's keep on talking. It's
2: fifteen seconds. So uh Mark, you talked about your grandma had watched As the World Turns. Was she watching? Wasn't that uh, what was interrupted when Kennedy was assassinated? Was she watching when that happened?
0: Uh she may have. Uh, you know, she wasn't uh my grandmother used to come and stay with us for, mm. for, for lengths of time. She lived with my aunt and uh I grew up in a town called uh Greenlawn on Long Island. And She, uh, my aunt lived in Glen head, which was about 30 miles away. So she used to come over and stay. She undoubtedly was, I was in the first grade when Kennedy was assassinated. So my my memories of it, I know she wasn't with us at that point because my memories are that, uh, I remember we were lined up on for the school buses. We'd heard sitting in class just at the end of class that the cat, that the president had been shot. And then, you know, I was in the second grade and, uh, and then as we lined up for the, the school buses, we learned he had, he had died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, I, I remember the day very well, you know, is yeah. just, I'm one of those who is of age. It's is like, where do you remember where you were when Kennedy was shot? You know? Yeah, I do.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's sorry, Robert. That's all I wanted to ask. Is... <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> one of the, one of
1: these days, I would love to have this conversation, um, you know, in, in Vegas or something like that. And we're, we're toasting Jeff. So yeah. I think, uh,
0: a Kolschak convention, but I, I don't know, you know, there's so few people left, you know, who could attend a convention, you know, uh, who are actively involved, you know, that's, I, I don't know. You do need some star power for a convention.
1: There is that. Well, I think it's all going to be up to Eric Estrada.
0: it kind of goes to him, doesn't it? It does. Jamie Farr. Jamie Farr is still. (laughs)
1: Well, Robert, one of of the best episodes. I love him that. Okay, we got to go. Well, Robert, hey, hey,
2: awesome. Hey, Mark, never did say no to the to the Dark Shadows podcast, so let's do them there.
0: Um, run, Mark, run. Well, actually, you know, you, I'm an extra on two volumes of the Dark Shadows. Really? Yeah. If you if you've got the box sets of that. Uh, And and, and my interviews are up at YouTube. You could see that somebody has put those extras up as individual things on YouTube. So there's two things of me holding forth on Dark Shadows uh, there. But we actually recorded those in Dan Curtis's office. And to my left, you can't see it, is the wolf's head cane that Ben Cross carried in the 91 Dark Shadows. Yeah. And staring right in front of me. Was the African Zuni doll from *Trilogy of Terror* that chased Karen Blacker? (laughs) Yes, he had the model. So while we were recording those, I'm looking at that, and the cane is over there. So uh, that, uh, but those are up there. So yeah, I'm on two volumes late. I'm like like twenty volume twenty-one and twenty-two of those box sets.
2: Yeah. Man, it's one o'clock in the morning. Where? Uh, what time is it at y'all's place?
0: Well, it's, no, it's almost two. So, <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: good old Central Time here.
0: All right, guys, it's been been a lot of fun. Hey,
2: Mark, Thank I really Mark. appreciate it, man. It, this is really fun talking to you.
0: All right, and uh, like as I said, invite me invite me back. You know, I'm a,
2: It's going to happen.
0: I'm a hard get. All you have to do is ask me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're going to let you say goodbye, Mark, and, and click off.
0: All right. I'll, we'll do that.
1: be the brave one here. All, all right. right. We'll yeah. see you tomorrow. See ya. Okay. okay, everybody. So, thank you so much to Mark DeWidziak for spending all of his time with us. And, um, we are not sure how how many episodes <laughs> this interview is going to be. Um, probably two <laughs> more than likely. It's roughly three hours. We'll see how long it, uh, we can put it all together. Some of that was just technical issues. But, um, Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to us. Um, We are working to put together a Patreon account. Um, And if you want to support us and uh, contribute, um, we will have the the various tiers of support that we can uh, get, and we'll have that on our website, and you can click on that later. We have another podcast that we've already done that's an introduction to Bradley and myself. And um, we talk kind of like we did in this one. <laughs> Not everything is about Kolshak, as Bradley is, is, as we said, staying pure and has only seen the first movie. So next time we come back, we will be covering the first movie, and we'll talk about that in good detail, and then we'll continue on. We're probably going to do everything chronologically, first movie, second movie, and then we'll go into the TV series. Along the way, we'll get some interviews, hopefully have some more things with Mark, um, I've actually been in contact with um, Jeff's son, James, and there's a good chance that James and I will um, talk and we'll get some of that on recording too. And um, But Bradley, what are some of the other ways people can um, uh, reach us? Aren't, don't we have some Twitter and uh, other things going on?
2: Yeah, everybody out there, you can stay in the loop as well. Uh, by following us on all of our social media platforms. I've actually got us... uh, You can follow us on Instagram, Twitch, and Twitter, at Kolchak Sloop. And we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Colchak Sloop. And if that don't work, you can just search under groups and search for Colchak Sloop, and you'll find us. Uh, You can also search for our channel on YouTube by searching for Colchak Sloop. We don't have any videos posted yet, but hopefully we'll get some maybe... Uh, if we can figure it out, maybe some watch-alongs or some other content. We might upload a couple minutes of videos to give you all a taste of how our recording process goes. It just depends on what you know what we can get up there. And you can always send us your feedback at gmail.com or you can always message us through the Facebook app.
1: Well, guys, thanks again so much for joining us. We uh, we don't have a fancy sign-off yet. We pretty much just want to say to stay in touch with everything Colchak-related. See us next time in the loop.
2: (laughs) Oh, you suck. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And in the recording.